Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello. Thanks for stopping by to our program podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister in the Church of God Cleveland Movement, and I thank you for taking the time to listen in today. This podcast is one of the services of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach of discernment in our deceptive world that has been ongoing since 1993. We are entirely responsible for its content, and if you'd like to learn more about us, surf on by our website, spiritwatch.org, and keep up to date using our Facebook and YouTube links there on the page for our more recent activities. Our Spearwatch Unchained blog, as well as our website, offers exclusive discernment content you won't find anywhere else, such as well-researched articles, videos, and a variety of other resources that we believe will help you provide that discerning edge for your life. You can find the blog at spearwatchunchained.blogspot.com, and we hope you'll enjoy visiting there as well. And so while you're at it, invite all your friends, enemies, life coaches, total strangers, and everyone all points in between to also listen in. We're always seeking new audiences, and we'd appreciate your help. We're now found on Spotify, Google, and Amazon Podcast Channels. And if you're here visiting, thanks so much. Tell your friends, bookmark us, and come back every week. Our podcast has been exploring the hidden closets of two Midwestern cults as of recent days, and in today's episode, we're going to be perusing even more of the dark corners of the Xenos slash Dwell movement, which is dug well into the social circles of Columbus, Ohio. Xenos, as you know, rebranded itself as the Dwell Community Church a couple years ago after rejoicing in the moniker of Xenos Christian Fellowship for almost 50 years. It's been called a cult for almost as long and being scrutinized by the now-defunct Cult Awareness Network back in the 1980s surely didn't help clarify things any better then. Although its public image is endlessly presented as that of a non-traditional yet orthodox Christian church built of a vast network of small groups and house churches, there's an intentional and mass-produced social engineering of its members and leaders that is hardly orthodox or Christian. Upon closer scrutiny, which we've been pursuing the past several months, we found abundant evidence of far more anti-Christian forms of abuse and heresy that explodes in us slash dwells deceptively fantasizing verbiage about it being just another cutting-edge church. Churches based upon the biblical foundations of Christian faith and liberty of conscience don't turn up the levels of cultism cultic mind control, and religious abuse, which thousands of men and women have been impacted by, abuses that have resulted in spiritual and psychological damage for about the same time that they've been involved with that group. At the center of the Xenos dwell heresy are the cunningly calculated consolidation of social influence and power by its founder, Dennis McCallum. His example and teaching underlies the soul and the mindset of the Xenosian culture, if we may call it that, 
which currently holds sway in the in-the-dwelled church world and its own subcultures. A vast phalanx of dwell church leaders were raised directly under McCollum's influence and formative teachings, and they've turned an allegedly Christian church into an anti-Christian cultic haven of many evil influences and activities. We take no pleasure in saying that, but neither are we going to be doing anybody any favors by saying anything else. Our guest today on the podcast is Vicki Hodgden Koss a former Zenos leader whose life was wholly given over to what seemed to her to be a noble vision of Christian mission. So please stay tuned as we discuss what she eventually would discover about the religious entity flying under the banner of the Zenos Christian Fellowship. Well, we would really like to welcome Vicki Koss uh, to, our, uh, to our Spirit Watch podcast today. And Vicki, welcome. It's great, it's great to Thank have you, you. here. And I, you come uh, very highly recommended by a lot of people who uh, have understood where you where you uh, were leading in Xenos at the time you were unceremoniously given the right foot of fellowship. <laughs> and um, I really do appreciate your willingness to come down and spend time. And you know, uh, and, and I know that you know you're not doing this just to you know, just you get back or, or lash out, you, you, there, there's some very specific things that, you know, you I, I understand that you want to speak of concerning where this movement's been going and where you see it come from. So uh, thank you once again for coming on. I, I really do appreciate that. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. All right. Thank you so much. So, um, well, as they say, beginnings are always such a delicate time, and I want to make sure we understand where, where we're coming from, you know. So we always want to ask our, our guests, you know, just kind of maybe reflect upon, you know, who they are as much as they want to, and, you know, just explain, you know, why they're here, and and uh, just tell us wh- uh, where you came from and uh, and what you're doing now. Okay. Well, uh, when I was in Zenos, obviously I was in Columbus, Ohio, where I had lived for 20 years. Um, and, uh, I had been in a church before Zenas that had, uh, controlling behaviors, um, and I ended up leaving it, including the ministry houses and, and so forth. Um, I ended up leaving it and I remember, uh, I was struggling with depression at the time and, um, one of my roommates said to me, well, if you don't choose to change your attitude, uh, that's where you're going to be. And she said this as I was reading the Bible at the kitchen table. And so I said, you know, maybe you have a point. I really need to uh, make a decision here. And so I moved out. And for the next three and a half years, I lived a life of rebellion against the Lord, going back to drugs and alcohol uh, sex and, um, this was a different movement and I have struggled to remember the name. I want to say new life, uh-huh. but I could be wrong. And the reason I bring that up is that, uh, the leaders of that particular church realized, uh, that they had been in error. This was a church, I believe, out of Ames, Iowa. So that might help, uh, you know, to go back and find, for me to find the name of the church. But these leaders 
in um, in a, a big meeting, but also in writing, apologize to their members for the controlling behavior that they had um, used to yeah. run the church. And they recognized how it hurt people. They were very humble. Now, they, now at this point, I was out of the church. But I remember noting that and, and, and being impressed that they had the humility to do that. And, yeah. and they seemed that they, they seemed a humble group when I was there. It was just, uh, it was just rough stuff. I, you know, as a, for an example, I was working towards my master's in journalism, uh, at Ohio State, which I ended up not getting. Uh, but they, saw me reading the Christian Science Monitor, which was part of one of my classes, and uh, told me, no, Alvin, you shouldn't be reading that. That's a cult. You know, and they, they, I could not help, I couldn't make them understand, this is part of a class. This is an excellent newspaper, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Very, very controlling, controlling about the music I listened to, and uh, women wearing head coverings. I mean, it was a very, Controlling, but these leaders apologized, and and the humility was very. It left a mark on me that I I will never forget. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I left that group, rebelled. I had a friend uh, who stayed with me the whole time. We worked together waitressing, and she asked me to move in with her. She was in Zenos. Mm-hmm. And I felt the Holy Spirit telling me that you better say yes to this or your heart could just totally harden. And so I did. I said yes. And uh, when I started out in Venus, this was 1979. Hmm. I got counseling through them. Uh, through a licensed social worker named Kim Kennedy, who was an excellent counselor. And um, he teamed up with another uh, guy in Zenos who became a dear friend named Jeff Torgerson. Jeff ran a ministry at Orient State Institute. And they together would have the clients go down and minister to people at Orient. They chose people for them to minister to based on whatever issues they were going through. And so... I ended up going down to Orient and ministering to this crazy dude named Harold. And my goal was to befriend him, uh, which I did. But I remember uh, thinking as I walked back to the, my home after work from the bus stop, you know, it's been about six months since I've thought about getting high. And then I realized, you know why? It's because you've been serving people. You've been going down to Orient and serving this, this crazy guy, Harold, plus living with Laurel. Uh, they, we were involved. They weren't called home churches back then. I think they were called small groups. Small group Bible study met in our home. And I got to know people and get involved in their lives. And, and so here, you know, this was like sunshine coming into my life. Yeah. And uh, 
the leaders, Dennis and Gary, the elders, then decided around 1980, I want to say, to change the structure of the church and have home churches. And then within the home churches to have cell groups, uh, which were the uh, small Bible studies for men and uh, those for women. And um, I became part of that. And it was a, a wonderful experience learning mm-hmm. the Bible, going to central teaching and learning. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of learning the Bible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as it turned out, I think that hunger was because that's where my spiritual gifting ended up being. Little did I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, around 1981, I believe, I was in Dennis's home church the, until I got married in 1987. I was in Dennis's sphere of influence. Okay. First, first in his home church, then in a home church that split off from his. So everything I learned about ministry, everything, uh, all the Bible uh, study that I did was under Dennis. And around 1981, Dennis invited me to uh, what was called a leadership training class. It was an intensive year-long uh, class that met for, oh, my goodness, maybe three hours uh, on Wednesday nights studying the Bible, different topics, th- pretty thoroughly, um, very thoroughly, actually. Wow. Um, and. He also asked me to teach at the home church for the first time. Okay. And I did. And I had to present my teaching to him before I did it, uh, you know, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently he uh, he thought that I would do a good job. He told his wife, we're going to have a good teaching tonight. Um and so that's how things were. Um, we were taught these ministry methods of evangelism that was a very strategic, very focused. Um, I was not in leadership at that time, so I didn't go to home church leader meetings, but I did go to workers meetings and, um, I learned to focus on strategic people who were either gifted or, well, were gifted, whether in uh, bringing more people to the church, uh, you know, learning the Bible and being able to impart that, just being disciplined spiritually and so forth. And this all made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what I did. Um so you got things just really took off then. I mean, you, I mean, you, you, did you start just getting counseling, trying to get yourself spiritually centered before you got more involved, uh, with, with Zenos at, at that time? Yes. I, I had no idea that I was going to get that involved in the church. Okay. It was solely to get my life together. In fact, the laughable thing was to me, I was going to counseling to uh because of my migraine headaches that I had to learn to deal with stress. 
God had something different in mind. And he wanted to get me turned around where I was focused on serving people. Yeah. And, and a deeper inner healing. And so I, I went through just so much healing and growth in Zenos. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much scripture that profoundly changed my life and just inflamed this passion to teach the Bible. Right. Uh, right. Now, along with that were the um, ministry methods, as I said. And um, I I just did what, what I was told because it seemed to make sense to focus on the people who were uh, – going to be producing results. Mm-hmm. It was only long after the fact. In fact, maybe perhaps it was after I even was left the church that I realized, you know, this is really a family business and a McCallum family business. Mm-hmm. And you focus on the people who contribute to the uh, success of the business. And you just do not focus on those who don't bring anything to the table. And you certainly get rid of the people who could uh, bring the business down. Hmm. But I didn't realize any of that at the time. Uh, And I remember that confronting people to help move them along in their spiritual life was considered the norm. Mm-hmm. And that that was, uh, that was Christian love. And, um, I did that. And, and, you know, I do think that there's, that that's important when it's done at the pace of the Holy Spirit. But this wasn't done at the pace of the Holy Spirit. This was done at the pace of Sinas. You know, by now you should be doing thus and so. And you're not. So let's talk about why. Mm. And if there was mm. repentance, if, if the person responded positively with change to what they were being told, then they continued to get my investment. And if they didn't, um, then I just turned from them and invested in other people. Wow. I, I, I am a people person, so I never, I never could just turn my back on people. I couldn't. I didn't have it in me to do that. But they definitely went off my radar as far as intensive investment. Because um, well, so you were being led by in the, all this training that Dennis McCallum and, and Zenas was setting forth that that that's, that part of your calling was as a leader was to obviously grow the business, protect yeah. the, protect the brand, and and, yes. and then do it in such a way that uh, you very intentionally would you know second you know you would um, shortchange people you you would you would view some as more important than others absolutely. And, 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 and that's just kind of amazing that, uh, that this is something that was established as part of normal Christian behavior. You know, even, even though the scriptures are very clear, what well, with the apostles did, they served everyone. They didn't care who they were. They served everyone yeah. they did. But, but this is completely different though here in Zenos because you, you, you had to basically to go into like a triage situation and only handle those who could 
actually, how can I say it, turn a profit uh, for Xenos. Oh. Is and that, yes, is that too that's far exactly the... accurate. Okay. You can you can just impose a business template on Xenos, and you'll have all the insight you need. Yeah, yeah. Because it is a family business. The nepotism speaks for itself. So, um, okay. And, so what does that look like? I, I again, what what does the nepotism of Xenos look like? It looks like the fact that um, the McCallums run the church. The McCallums. Now, you know, Gary DeLashbit was a wonderful, is, I guess, still a wonderful man. It was very difficult to see where his hand was on the wheel. In my opinion, he and Dennis had a very unbalanced enabling relationship uh-huh. and uh, Dennis was very arrogant he was very controlling um, and Gary enabled that and what happened was that periodically the church would hemorrhage members yeah and there would usually be one person who was going to be excommunicated for some stand they took. And, you know, this is years ago, so I can't tell you examples of stands. Sure. But sure. Uh, at, at any rate. Just there what you can tell. Ed- Just what you saw. Oh, yeah. Sure. And and I knew at the time. from Now, understand that all the information we got was from the elders, which went through Dennis. Uh, and so periodically there would be this hemorrhaging and someone would get excommunicated. There would be a large meeting of workers and leaders where this person would be excommunicated. And we were told that they were attacking Dennis. And that was because Dennis is such a godly man. He is devoting his life to Jesus Christ. And so this is satanic attack. And what we need to do is anybody who feels led needs to stand up at this meeting and say what Dennis has meant in their life and what he has done to help them. And this happened several times. I mean, it wasn't once. It wasn't twice. And I remember one meeting in particular where there was a um, well-known Christian visiting our church. Now, I, I believe it was Ralph Winter. Oh, okay. Uh, but the well-known church planning uh, strategist. Yeah, well, uh, yes, and he did the um, perspectives on the world Christian right. movement. Okay. Yes, and I believe it was him. I could be wrong, but I believe it was him. During his visit, there was such an excommunication meeting, as I'm saying. Wow. He had a look of grief on his face. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I remember that registered with me, and I didn't understand it uh, because, of course, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. After that meeting, or 
there was, or, or maybe it was the following night, I, a group of us were invited over to Gary's house, and, and Ralph was there. And the subject of family came up, and um, how much time to invest in family, meaning parents, siblings, and this kind of thing. And um, this has been a bone of contention in my life because my parents lived in Canton, Ohio, and I often didn't see them uh, because there was always some kind of outreach event or church meeting or whatever, and it it, it wasn't strategic. <laughs> I'm speaking Xenos Z- ease here. Right. It wasn't strategic for me to go, right. even to my father's retirement party. Um, and so the bottom line was that the, the scripture, let the dead bury the dead, came up. <laughs> Gary brought that up. And that that's not our focus. Our focus is to win people for Christ. And again, this expression of deep grief on this gentleman's face that I believe was Ralph Winter. He didn't say a word. He might have spoken at some point to the elders. I don't know. But there was a deep look of grief. Uh, so now, yeah. you know, it, it, it will flash forward a little bit. And I was invited into what was called the Elders Seminar, which was, oh, goodness, maybe 18 months of very intense Bible study for the purpose of teaching classes. And they taught us what, from the content of their theology classes at, um, where did they go to theology? Uh, They got their Masters of Divinity, maybe at Ashland? I, I don't remember. But um, I was invited to that. I was the only woman. I was the first woman. And I was so excited because, once again, I'm in the Bible. I, I couldn't believe the things that I was learning and that I was going to be able to teach classes because teaching the Bible was my passion. Just making it come alive to people, just making, just, just, trying to figure out what the Holy Spirit wanted people to hear so that I could be a channel of that and that it would change people's lives. That was just the passion that lit me up. Um, In that seminar, there were some alarming things. I remember that this dear friend of mine, his name was Jeff Torgerson. He was the one who had in the past headed up the, Ministries to Orient State Institute. He, I believe at that time was an elder. Um, I don't know what prompted this. I don't remember, but Dennis was in a fit of anger, hmm. went over and shamed him in front of everyone saying, this notebook is not organized at all. This goes here, this goes there, and just shaming him in front of everyone in that group. And it grieved me to my core. 
Sure. And I told him that, and I told his wife that. I think, that, yes, at that time I was living with them. That's a whole other story I can tell you about. Um, hmm. But it, it, it was just devastating. And that behavior is not atypical of Dennis. And to understand that behavior, you would have had to understand his mother, who was the queen of shame and who had a lot of influence in Xenos. Mm-hmm. She started it, as as my recollection goes. She started the church, and Gary and Dennis joined in, and, and of course then they ended up taking over, but, but she was still very prominent, very controlling in everything that she did. She never liked me uh, because I think she sensed an independent spirit in me. Um, and, it, it, you know, you had to be liked by the McCallums. Here's the nepotism. You had to submit to them. You had to show um, reverence for them mm-hmm. um, to be in the inner circle. And mm-hmm. um, she didn't trust me uh, at all. Dennis at that time did, um, I, as far as I could tell. Uh, but Martha didn't. And you can imagine growing up with a woman like that. You're going to need some counseling. Hmm. Dennis never got counseling. Dennis was physically abusive to his wife in his marriage. Dennis, his daughter, told my husband that when he was the headmaster of the church's school, that he had hit her mom. And uh, uh, my husband told Dennis, he confronted him about it, and Dennis laughed and denied it. But I had another close, but but a close friend of Dennis confirmed it to my husband. That Dennis and struck his mother. Ed struck his wife. Or, excuse me, his wife, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wow. And years before that, I knew that. I knew that because I was very good friends with someone who was counseling them. And he once just let down his guard because, uh, you know, it was a counseling situation. So I never probed or anything like that. Um, and nor did he give me any information except this one time he let down his guard because he was uh, just grieved. And it was that um, Dennis had physically abused Holly, his wife. Oh, unbelievable. Neighbors were so turned off because they would hear the screaming going on in that house from fights and from arguments. Um, and the children, of course, heard it. And, and you know, one of them now, I think I don't think both, but one, Brett, is an elder in the church. Without mm-hmm. counseling, you know, no, no counseling. Uh, I grew up with a shaming mom, and I know what that does to you. And I've had counseling my entire adult life to deal with that, Christian counseling. Um, but I bring this up so that you understand the type of of environment. And people were afraid of Dennis. They were yeah. afraid of losing his respect and losing his favor. They were certainly afraid of being shamed by him. And uh, I, one thing I neglected to say was with those excommunication meetings, Whoever had crossed Dennis 
was after they were excommunicated, the character assassinations were grievous. Yeah. And I didn't understand until it happened to me that that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, I believed it. I, it was just all this, well, you know, he did this, 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 and he had this going on in his life, and blah, blah, blah. This is church. This is church. Yeah. All the workers and leaders are finding out that it's gossip. And and Zenos is riddled with gossip. It's, it's just a... Um, besetting sin and I uh, it was certainly with Martha it was with Dennis and I think it always is with controlling people because they have to find out what's going on who's for me you know right. and and so on and so forth Incredible. so you know that's that's just amazing so, I mean, well no it, well to be honest with you it's really not that amazing it's not that surprising but human nature being what it is that's that sort of thing happens again and again in controlling groups I mean uh, and it doesn't have to be religious either I mean the the red the red communist Chinese or any yeah. or, any, or any communist group anywhere they, they routinely resort to what they like to call struggle sessions or denunciation rallies in which people are accused of, of wrongdoings and evils and betrayals of the cause and then they're publicly humiliated, accused and, and, and in some instances beaten and tortured. Well, you know, maybe he's not been lay hands on anybody specifically, but, but the, but the verbal pistol whipping and like yeah. you said, the public assassin, character assassination is certainly just, it blows my mind that, that, that people have been taught so thoroughly to expect that as part of a supposedly Christian Environment, because the yeah. entire because the entire milieu, the entire social setting of Zenos is entirely based upon the volatility of one man or one family. That's that's yes. just, that's just unreal. I'm, I, it's, that's, it's that's, not a surprising thing, though. It, that's very accurate. Yeah. And um, but you know, when you're in the environment, when you're breathing the air constantly, it becomes normal. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I will say that the closer you get to leadership, the more toxic it is. Mm-hmm. If you're on, if you're just attending a home church, a cell group and a, a central teaching, you know, you, you can benefit from all the excellent Bible study. It is excellent. Um, but the closer you get to the leadership, the more toxic the environment is and you breathe it. And you either at some point recognize that it's toxic or you don't. And I finally recognized that it was toxic. I do want to say one other thing to give you an idea of the environment. Um, there were, Dennis spoke very disparagingly of homosexuals. Mm-hmm. It was uh, yeah. a joke. To refer to them as fudge packers. Yeah. And this was in that uh, seminar that I was in. And I couldn't. I'm not a goody two-shoes. Trust me, Raphael. So, you know, uh, it's it's not because I'm a goody two-shoes. It's a lack of love. These are people who are dying without Christ. And they... They are in bondage to a particularly um, difficult sin to, to get out of, 
it's so, so deep and 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 I want to also make it clear when I say homosexuality is a sin, it's a sin like gluttony is. It's a sin like anger is. It's a sin like gossip is. It is nothing worse. It mm-hmm. is just a sin, and this is why Christ died for us. Right. Uh, so I want to make that clear that I am so not anti-gay. I totally accept them. Um, but that kind of speech was, you know, difficult to hear. Dennis referred to women as chicks. He spoke about, you know, how he really uh, disliked fat chicks. Um, he, we had group uh, annual workers meetings that Oh, they, they would be outdoors. I don't remember if they involved camping, but they're, they're huge meetings with music and teachings and this, that, and the other. Dennis would walk around with a uh, brown bag that he would drink from. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, uh, Oh, how, he, he just, it was almost as if he wanted to be a Christian James Dean. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was just weird. Right. Um, but anyway. Um, well, what's really most troubling, I'm sorry, I'm interrupt, but, you know, the most troubling thing is that, you know, and I know, I know what you mean when you say this about, you know, um, about, them having great teachings about the Bible. You can certainly, I believe, in a place like Zenos, learn a lot of biblical content. You can learn about, uh, uh, you know, the Old Testament history, New Testament history. You hear about, you can learn about culture. You can learn about, uh, the, the, who were the minor prophets, who were the major prophets, you yes. know, what, what were the themes of the Bible, you know, uh, what was the Pentateuch about, what was Exodus about, what was, what were all those strange laws in, in Deuteronomy and Numbers about, you know, what, what did it all matter, you know, and you, you can read all about the prophets and the Psalms and Proverbs and, 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 and they can, what Zenos can do is approximate a presentation of biblical content that makes them seem completely orthodox. It makes them seem totally uh, um, within the realms of, of, of orthodoxy, for lack of a better word. And yeah. at the same time, they miss something very big when you reveal the kind of behavior that they go on. I mean, for example, you know, this, this horrific castigation of homosexuals, this objectification of women, uh, this, yes. this enshrining of, of, of an alcohol culture. Um, uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this is the first and great command. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments yes. hang all the law of the prophets. It yes. doesn't matter to me how biblical, how, with the biblicity, <laughs> with the theology, with the apologetics, with the worldview teaching, there's not a single bit of anything that Xenos can do in that area, which, of course, passes the muster for most undiscerning evangelicals. Uh, there's not a thing they can do that, that, that convinces me that they embody Christian faith at all in light of what Jesus himself says. And when you hear 
what I'm, what you, not only you've been saying, the others have been saying in our podcast for the past several weeks, we hear men being allowed to abuse women and people just run roughshod over each other. And for clones of Dennis who are now in, in, in higher, in higher places in Lee Zenos, perpetuating that circle of abuse and then denying it when asked about it. It just says something yes. very deeply about just really how warped morally uh, Zenos really is. It's, I don't consider it a, a, a Christian church. I, I really don't. I can't because it's, it, it, it completely, it completely under, it undermines and denies the very essence of what Jesus just spoke of. There's not, there's not love going on in Zenos. There's, there's something else, something entirely alien to the core of that. Well, it is playing into Dennis's strengths. Dennis is an intellectual. Mm-hmm. Dennis wants to be revered as an intellectual. Hence, all the focus on the Bible teachings. Oh, it was a great coup when we got all these great speakers at the Summer Institute. You know, then it, it's, you know, it was almost like, you know, becoming a second Francis Schaefer with the, the the place to come and sit at the feet and just soak in all the uh, insight from these Christian intellectuals. When the bottom line is, according to Fifth First Corinthians 13, they are a clanging symbol. Yeah. There is no love. There is no humility. There never is dialogue about differences. And that's where I can fast forward a bit. I, uh, after, after graduating from the seminar, I started teaching theology classes. I also filled in for Gary, uh, Delashment when he, uh, was on vacation or whatever, uh, for the major, you know, the, the large, um, central teachings, which were seven, eight hundred people at, at, at that time. Um, so I became very visible. I also worked part-time at Calumet Christian School, where I met my, my, my husband. He enrolled our youngest son there, or, and, and our middle son, as it turned out. I, I say our sons because they are my sons now. They're not my biological sons. Um, but, uh, he ended up becoming headmaster of the school. He'd worked for the Y all his life, except for one short stint uh, with Prevent Blindness. And he um, was hired to oversee education in the church. And this wasn't just being headmaster of the school, but it also meant running the, um, what did they call it back then, study center. The, the Zena Study Center, which was a library in the school for people to come up and, and, uh, study. There were excellent books, you know, this is all part of the intellectual, uh, you know, vibe. Uh, and so he, uh, was over that. Um, and since he was a headmaster, I, he essentially had to fire me <laughs> and I couldn't work with him. Um, mm-hmm. I did find, here I married and became an instant mom to three boys and it wasn't long before I realized that having the number of meetings we had a week was going to make our children hate Christian work we Mm -hmm. were never with them yeah 
And so I, I, I talked to my husband and we talked to our other home church leaders and decided, for instance, that we were going to have our uh, cell groups every other week uh, and, and so forth. And this wasn't looked upon too positively, but, but we weren't disciplined for it. We, we never heard directly from it. I know that they considered us what they called tribal tribal people who wanted to focus on the family were called tribal but anyway um my husband had as in that new position really difficult um observations to digest with Dennis there was a a man named Mike Burkett who ran the uh, study center on a day-by-day basis uh, Dennis took out a book and it was way overdue, and Mike wanted it back. People were asking for it. He didn't feel that it was right uh, that Dennis could just be above the rules. Well, so my husband uh, appro- contacted Dennis and said, this is what I hear. We need the book back. Uh, Dennis was furious. I don't remember if he got the book back or not. Uh, he, he, Dennis said that he needed it for his studies. And he had Mike fired over that. My husband had to fire Mike Burkett because he had the audacity to approach Dennis over an overdue book. There was a woman working at the school named Julie McLaughlin who's uh, very active in um, the Turns Out We're Okay uh, group, support group, wonderful woman. Uh, she had been through hell in her life with abuse. Uh, and Dennis said, told my husband that she just needed to pull herself up by her bootstraps. Yeah. yeah. There was the incident of De- Jesse McCallum saying that her dad hit mom and Dennis denied it, but it turned out to be true. Uh, there was a meeting where teachers received raises with, with board approval. Of course, he had that board approval. Dennis came back later and said it was never approved. He said his minutes didn't have it. And Keith knew that it had been approved. Keith found a copy of minutes with the approval and And during this meeting, this is considered a school board meeting. My husband presented that copy. Dennis looked at Tad Hale, who I think was the business manager for uh, the church, and said, how did this happen? And what Dennis had done was he removed, he told Tad to remove the approval from the minutes so that the copies didn't have that approval trying to make it look like my husband would just do this, um, make such a decision on his own. Mm. Um, There was a grant from the state with a list of things that the school could could could, uh, not buy, but be given from the state. And one of the things that my husband ordered, besides Apple computers for every classroom, books, uh, textbooks and so forth was a new laser printer uh, and it networked with the teacher's computer uh, it was top of the line at the time and uh, 
his supervisor, my husband's supervisor, was a man named and he said, I wouldn't buy a printer nicer than what Dennis is using. And had a way, was honest to an extent. He tried to help my husband understand when he was offending Dennis. But was afraid of Dennis. So what he was communicating was Dennis is angry that the school has a printer nicer than what he's using. <laughs> uh, then, um, yeah, became the, uh, I had to do an interim as assistant principal again. I don't remember the situation, but whoever had been assistant principal had to take a year off or something like that. When I was in that position, Julie McLaughlin came to me and said to me that <clears throat> she had wanted to start a support group for uh, victims of sexual abuse and that Dennis had just shut her down. And, um, and you know, I, I was grieved by that. I didn't get into any bashing Dennis thing or anything like that, but I listened to her. And I thought to myself, you know, the church is getting so big. 3,000 people, I think, we were at at that point. And I thought, I, I think the elders are just trying to control things that they need to let go of. They're going to end up quenching the spirit. Mm-hmm. What year was this? This, say? this? this was 1990, August of 1992. Okay. All right. And so I wrote Dennis a letter. I decided it would be best to do that so that it was in writing couldn't be disputed what I was saying. And the gist of my letter was that the elders were working so hard with the church that, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, with their investment. And I was this, I meant the praise that I gave. I was sincere about it. And I said, but I think that you might want to consider just, just letting go a bit. You can't, with this size church, run everything. And, and I brought up the quenching of the spirit. And I brought up the example of the support group for sexual uh, abuse victims. And uh, Dennis never addressed me. By now, this was almost a, well, it was a typical dictatorial um, structure now. Uh whether you, you, you view the Nazi government or Putin or or even the mafia, the, the head guy no longer meets uh, with people and does the dirty work. He assigns it out. So I was told to meet with a guy named, oh gosh, Greg Leffel, was it? No, 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 not Greg Leffel, Tim Leffel. Greg Leffel's a good guy. Um who headed up the teaching ministry, and, and uh, he said, you know, you wrote this letter, what's this about? And I said, well, it's, it's, it's in the letter. And um, the, uh, he let me know that it was not met with approval. Dennis and Gary met with Keith and told him that they needed to have him, uh, that, that they needed for him to help me stop criticizing the leadership. They showed him the letter. Which Keith had seen, of course. I didn't send this letter without 
having him read it and make sure that he thought that it was palpable and positive where where I should be. Um, but that, and, and he read the letter in front of him and he said, I see nothing critical in this letter. She's not criticizing you. She's offering input. And no, I'm not going to, to say or do anything. Um, well, people started leaving the church because of this control. Another hemorrhage was starting. And by June of 1993, enough people had left that we needed to have another meeting. You know, one of the meetings I told you about before, where this isn't so much an excommunication. It wasn't an excommunication meeting. Nobody was excommunicated because they were leaving in droves. But we needed to support Dennis. He's getting, once again, all this attack because he's so spiritual and doing all this work and blah, blah, blah. It was ostensibly to be a meeting, though, where people would get to express what their concerns. Yeah. They wanted to stop the hemorrhaging. So, you know, the surface of it was we're going to have this meeting where people can express their concerns in an open way. And it's interesting that but, when, when, it's interesting, study me interrupt you, but it's, it's interesting that when Dennis and Gary talk about this, they had a, uh, a, an episode on a podcast sometime back in which they discussed the early years of Xenos and they, they always emphasized that, you know, uh, these meetings were always very energetic. People were free to say what they wanted to. Oh, uh, and, oh. <laughs> and they, they even wrote in their, they have an online history in which they basically make, use the same verbiage and say, well, you know, we, there was, there are times there are very hot meetings or argumentative meetings, but in essence, we move through things and, and it's, it's amazing how they just can't put any kind of good real face on anything any, someone might say uh, that might be critical to what's going on, can they? No, there's no humility. Yeah. There's no ability to listen. I honestly believe that Dennis is riddled with shame. He is a man riddled with shame, and to protect himself, he puts on an arrogant front. And he cannot, absolutely cannot hear criticism. And he is surrounded by enablers mm-hmm. who right. who have the view that he's just under attack. Yeah. Well, this meeting got underway and it, uh, about half an hour went by where it's nothing but Dennis praised. And you know what? I got furious. And there's one thing, Raphael, that will make me furious and it's injustice yeah Yeah. and i thought to myself this is supposed to be a meeting where people with concerns speak up they are being intimidated right now they are not going to open their mouths after all these people are praising dennis and of course the elders are sitting up front lapping it up uh so i stood up I was furious. It was obvious I was furious. To this day, I maintain it was righteous indignation. And I said, this is ridiculous. This is supposed to be a meeting where, where we're hearing, we're hearing people's concerns. And they're being shut down and intimidated from speaking. 
by all these yes people. Hmm. Yes, Dennis. Yes, praise Dennis. You know, I was livid. Sycophants. Sycophants, exactly. Yeah. Livid. So I spoke my piece. I don't remember whether I gave my concerns. I, I don't think so. I, I think I just expressed that there were concerns. I, I, it was obvious that I had concerns uh, and that I wanted to protect the people who had concerns and, and enable them to speak. And I do remember that after I sat down, some people did speak finally, but not many. There was no discussion. In Xenos, mm-hmm. there is never discussion. There is never dialogue. There isn't meeting of the minds. There isn't an attitude of humility, the Christ-like attitude mm-hmm. of humility, the, the key to loving someone, yeah. to making them feel heard, valued, you know, and so forth. They're clanging symbols. There's no love. So, you know, I told my husband when we left the meeting, I think I just might have put the nails in the coffin of your job. (laughs) Oh, my. Because I knew, you know, that uh, that this was not, I knew what I'd done. And I felt that it was what God led me to do. Sure enough, we come back. Oh, we left that day for vacation for two weeks. Come back. I was fired from all my teaching positions. People were very upset about that um, because they viewed me. They viewed me as, I guess, someone to respect. But I think they viewed me as someone who wasn't drinking the Kool Aid, but not not uh, trying to divide the church in any way. Um, and so there, there had to be a meeting. <laughs> because people were so upset that I was fired from all my teaching posts. And in that meeting, I stood up. I couldn't believe they let me talk, but they did. And I stood up and said, look, these men are the elders of the church. They, their job is to protect. They're the shepherds. Their job is to protect the church. If they view my teaching as a threat to the church, then they must act on that. They're doing their job. Let them do it. If I'm not a threat to the church, that could come out later. God could reveal it. But right now, they're doing their job. When I, the meeting was over, Gary DeLashman came over and hugged me. Dennis McCown and Martha, Martha, Martha's sitting up there with the elders. She wasn't an elder, but she was a controller. And, you know, I guess the founder of the church originally, I don't know. She was just a witch, unsanctified, never sanctified in her character. Uh, That was another obvious sign of the the sickness in Zenos. Um, all Bible teaching, all intellectual, but no love, no sanctification of character. Um, and Dennis and, and Martha were just looking at me with 
complete suspicion. Uh, and I was floored by that. I was floored by that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that was in probably early July, late June, October. Or let me, let me just back up. Danny, things started getting kind of weird at the school. My husband came home and said, you know, somebody's coming in at night and getting on my computer. Mm. These were the big suitcase computers. They didn't have passwords. And they were getting on the computer used strictly for administration. Not, they were not getting into student records. I, you know, so I want to make that clear. Somebody was coming in at night using his computer. He knew this because he always turned his computer off when he left and he came in in the morning and it would be on. Um, Danny Walker, his supervisor told him, Keith, if there are any changes made, it's Dennis's idea and not everyone agrees. And my husband said, what are you talking about? And he just repeated it because he's afraid of Dennis. Yeah. Uh, just, just know if any changes are made, it's Dennis's idea and not everyone agrees. A teacher named Roger Braun was sent to keep it, as it turns out, to test him and get him to criticize Dennis. So he goes to, to my husband and asks his, his opinion of, of Dennis's actions on some things. And my husband said, go talk to the elders. Uh, and he said it twice. And I, this guy persisted and said, well, I mean, just on these issues, can't you at least tell me what you think? And so Keith fell for the bait told him what he thought, which was not a divisive thing. It was expressing a difference of opinion with Dennis. And he goes, the Roger Brown goes back to Dennis and the elders and relays what he said. Mm -hmm. So it was was a setup. He was viewed as divisive after that. Um, I think it was October 4th of 93, my husband was told to come under up to the office for a meeting on the budget. That was a lie. They fired him. That was the purpose of the meeting. And ostensibly he was fired for not moving the school ahead the way they wanted because the budget increased every year. Even though they met the budget, they weren't behind. But that was the ostensible reason. And nobody wanted to uh, uh, have students turned away because they have cash flow problems with the family, which was a big deal. Of course. <laughs> uh, and so my husband had found a third-party company that worked with Christian schools, and the parents would borrow money from them. They would pay the, the tuition. And the parents would pay it back in time. Uh, and they would pay more. It would be like any loan. They pay back more, uh, to this company, but the tuition was always met. Dennis, by the way, was behind on his tuition off- often. Uh, 
he didn't utilize his company, but whatever. So that was the ostensible reason that he was fired, that he wasn't moving the school ahead the way they wanted because the budget increased every year. And don't forget the, the behind-the-scenes switcheroo of getting the approval for teachers' raises erased from the budget. Yeah. By yeah. At Dennis's word. Right. Um, my husband was told that he uh, could not go back to the school. He could not say goodbye to the kids, which was heartbreaking to him because he, uh, you sure. have to understand my husband's personality to know he was a kid magnet. He loved those kids. Right. Uh, he was told that he would be accompanied that evening. He could get his stuff and he could leave. He, uh, met with an elder. He thinks it was Dr. Jeff Gordon because he thinks it was a doctor. It's, but he's very clear with me that he could be wrong on that, who it was. But he asked if he could be paid till the end of the school year. Uh, because he had an agreement with them, not a contract, but an agreement that he, you know, mm-hmm. would had this salary to the end of school. Yeah. And, and like a zombie, like a robot, and this is so Xenos, the, the, the person said, well, we don't want to say no. And my husband said, so yes, you'll pay me till the end of the school year. And he just repeated, well, we don't, we don't want to say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and repeated it a couple of times. My husband tried to clarify it. Um, and he ended up not getting it. Uh, I, I don't remember. Maybe six weeks severance was it. And, of course, we were both fired. No jobs. And once you leave Xenos, you're nobody. Well, both our characters were assassinated uh, at this point. And you know nobody. No job. We had no money. Uh, people supported us. They were led by God, and we, by God's grace and power, we were able to make it through financially uh, until he got a job in uh, September of 94 in upstate New York, back with the Y. Okay. The parents were furious, and so uh, there was a meeting with the parents. Keith asked if he could come, and Danny told him that he wasn't invited. Parents asked why Keith wasn't there, and Dennis said, oh, he could have come. Just got back <laughs> to Keith because he knew these parents. Yeah. So do you see the MO? It's lying. It's deceit. It's right. uh, uh, ruining people's lives, yeah. character assassination, and never, ever, ever admitting to any wrong. Right. Never having any humility to listen to people. Right. And so that, that's our story. That's my story, my husband's story. And, uh, we want, I, I am grateful. I, I, I never, I chose not to speak to the media because I believe they just wanted to burn down the church. And that is not my intent. That's the, as I've told you, that is uh, the temple of God. You don't you don't go around burning down God's temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you because you have a redemptive goal of 
seeing if you can bring about repentance. And it will start with Dennis. By the way, <clears throat> I did go to Gary Gillespie after I was fired from my teaching jobs. And I said, Gary, I want you to know, biblically, Dennis McCallum is a scoffer. And I quoted uh, the verse in Proverbs that you uh, take out a, a scoffer, remove a scoffer, and dissension will cease. Dissension, right. and I told him, always is swirling around Dennis. Mm-hmm. Step him down. And elders in the past have been stepped down for far less than anything Dennis McCallum ever did right. for, for, for fooling around with their fiancé before marriage for whatever. You know, but Dennis hitting his wife, lying, being a scoffer, never faced any discipline. Yeah. So, and yeah. modeling what he's been doing so shamelessly for a whole new generation of leaders to basically uh, replicate, to use the Zenos term. Every every single every leader up there that has been has been one of his mentors. All act, basically act like him. There's the nepotism. Yeah. It's either family or it's people associated. Very interesting that Gary's disciples never, ever, ever got into any position of real leadership. Never Gary's. Mm-hmm. Always Dennis's. And yeah. as, um, as, as Jesus said, you know, to the Pharisees, you know, call them whitewashed tombs and, and that they will reproduce, uh, monsters twice as bad as themselves. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what Dennis does. Right. Yeah. And he's laid forth, and now that he's supposedly stepped down, so to speak, he's uh, off the, off behind the shadows somewhere. He's, his, his, his whole phalanx of, uh, like I said, of clones that are out there leading the church are, are acting the same manner. Uh, I mean, to all the controversies that's been totally stirred the up. Same. You know? And, and Raphael, you have to understand, Dennis hasn't stepped down. That's a public statement. Mm-hmm. Dennis can't step down. Okay, elaborate on that. What does that mean? Dennis is a controller. Dennis cannot turn over the reins. I do believe that Gary Delashman will step down and that he focuses on whatever, teaching CTs. But Dennis is constitutionally unable, because of his arrogance and his control issues, to step down. I, he can't. He's and tried. so everyone, everyone, I can guarantee you, is still reporting to Dennis. Well, they're reporting to his clones, but the clones are reporting to Dennis, and I can guarantee you that no decision is made without Dennis's stamp on it. Mm-hmm. From who's going to speak to the public after these TV segments to statements coming out from the church about how they've changed, whatever. It right. it still all comes through Dennis. Yeah, yeah. So how did you guys handle the transition? I mean, after the after your firing, I guess that pretty much meant that you you just didn't ever go back to the church then, and then you just moved on. Is that how, how did you guys handle that? It was terrible. It was terrible. I I I went into counseling. There was a counselor with an unfortunate name, Dennis Stranges. Excellent counselor, very familiar with uh, what people went through with CNAS. He had counseled quite a few of them. He helped me. I went to Vineyard 
and um, I I got some healing there and some uh, healing there, but I, I it took decades for me to get over mm-hmm. what had happened, and mm. the same with my husband. It was such a trauma, and that's the sign of something wrong. Yeah. And it was such a trauma. And I did see, I mean, the bottom line is I'm closer to God now than I've ever been. God rescued us. He rescued us. Uh, and I saw that, you know, okay, you, you, you took your worth out of teaching the Bible. It was a passion. You did it the best you could, but you were taking your worth from that. And Jesus was letting me know that that's not going to fly. And so, you know, it, it, it was a healing, but the pain and the rejection and knowing that there were friends in the church who were believing the lies. Yeah. There was one person in the church whose wife used to babysit for our boys. When that day that I stood up, he called me a bitch. And that was the sentiment. No one thought that. Uh, and it was devastating. So you were, you were, I'm over. You were called up by Dennis? No, no. This oh, was a, a, a worker or leader. He's a home church leader. A home church leader. And he knew us. He knew us. Keith had been in home church with him and his wife. His wife had babysat for our kids. I see. Okay. And so he knew me. But he called me a bitch publicly, uh, you know, which, by the way, Dennis also did to Julia McLaughlin at a public meeting. Um, but he, I, it took me decades to get over the trauma and to be able to forgive. I had to keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep choosing to forgive. And, and, and I do forgive Dennis. Um, I am a child of shame. I understand what it does. And I think that that's what Dennis is enslaved to. He's enslaved to shame. He props himself up by being an intellectual giant, by being arrogant about it, having founded this church that grew, having this institute, summer institute, all the things I told you. That's how he deals with his shame issues. Mm-hmm. And it destroys you. And unfortunately... It's destroying other lives, and that's why I, I'm, I'm speaking up. It's mm-hmm. destroying other lives and has destroyed other lives. Yeah. We're certainly yeah. traumatized, not destroyed in every case, but traumatized. Right. Uh, so This certainly has been and, enough, though, impact that has led to death, though. Uh, there have been suicides and people laboring under all kinds of uh, mental oppressions that, that you know, or that stem, you know, everyone has issues, but when you go into a, into a high demand environment like Xenos and get caught up and, and being forced to become a cog in the works, it, you, you get grounded dust. You get injured. You get grounded dust. Uh, and yeah. you know, for so many people, this was the only place they found approval. Yeah. Right. They right. found approval by doing the right thing. And then when they weren't able to, they were kicked to the curb. And, yeah. and it was very Darwinian. And yes, yes, some people took their own lives. And that, that that's devastating to contemplate. Um, devastating. Yeah. And, 
And yet there is this very, you're right, you took the words out of my mouth. There is a very Darwinian survival of the fittest kind of spirit to when uh, Dennis and, and others speak about how Christians, like you said, need to pull their, pull them, pull themselves out of their nose dives and, and start really, you know, taking God seriously and start really applying themselves toward the system, towards going to meetings and doing X and doing Y and Z. It's, it's, it's very much a very humanistic almost, um, in its spirit as if, you know, man truly is the measure of all things. And that, and that yeah. if you're the right kind of man, then everything will measure up around you. It's just really very twisted type of thing. It really is. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Dennis it, is more postmodern. He wants to believe. <laughs> yes, he is. And you know, I think first Corinthians 13, Verses one through three sum up Zenos. If I have speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I yeah. become a noisy gong. And yeah. it goes on. And then when you look, starting in verse four, at the adjectives, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not arrogant. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Yeah. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Doesn't yeah. rejoice in unrighteousness, yeah. bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. How is that present in Zenos? It yeah. is not. It is absent. This, the scripture says, you know, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And that's exactly, exactly. where Zenos completely fails. It, what, exactly. As we already mentioned, what is so big, what is so, what, 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 what are we to be impressed by by a whole group of people in the group like Xenos who come under all hours and hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars of tuition for these classes to supposedly bring you into an understanding of Christian leadership and, and you can't even love the person who's struggling next to you in your own group. That's just that just says it right there for me as well. So it does uh, and but but here's the but can you imagine if that Bible knowledge were harnessed with love yeah and that's why i'm speaking out yeah. that's what i want to see um, i don't want Zenos to burn to the ground right i desperately want repentance at the yeah. top and it may start lower down with people who start standing up to dennis and yeah. saying this is not okay and stepping right. them out right or whatever Right. But but to harness that that knowledge with love, now that would be a powerful right. church. It would be. But people have to return first to have to return to their first love. That's the very thing yeah. Jesus spoke of in Revelation of the of the church of Ephesus that knew so much, that was so wise, so full of spiritual endeavor and power and so he so much he commended by and yet he said, I have well, I have someone against you because you've lost your first you've left your first love. And, yeah. and that love is what is what Jesus was mentioning: is to love God first above everything else, and then everyone else like your own brother. I mean, to me, that's where the rubber meets the road. And, and, and until that good old fashioned repentance comes upon Zenos, they truly going to become just louder and louder symbol clangers. <laughs> they will. Yeah, Vicky, they thank will. you so much for your oh. wonderful 
commentary. It's been an enlightening. And, and maybe as we close here, maybe there's one last thing maybe you'd like to share from your heart to uh, anyone who may be listening in Xenos, to the public, to the world at large. What would you want people to know about Xenos? And what would you want to say to those who are in it? Uh, maybe Dennis is listening which I'm sure he probably is. Maybe other people are listening. What would you like to say to them? What would you like to be known, uh, like to go out with our discussion here on? I would say I would speak directly to Dennis. And I would say, Dennis, there is freedom in repentance. There is freedom from shame at the foot of the cross. There is no need for arrogance. You are robbing yourself of joy and freedom by not listening to what people are saying and indeed what God is saying to you through people and through the scriptures that they are citing. Consider freedom. You've got the choice. You can continue as you are protecting yourself, circling the wagons, or you can choose freedom. Right. Right. Yep. That's what I'd like to say. That's and that's an excellent, excellent way for our, our podcast to end it here. That the, the need to repent is really uh the story of the Christian faith. The need to change, to be converted, to turn around. It's still possible. Yeah. Well, there's life, there's always hope, no matter what people do or say. And Dennis, yeah. I certainly would agree with Vicki here. That's exactly what you need to take a long look into the mirror with and think about. And I pray that from this day forward, that when you once you listen to this, that 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 that, that the very taste of food, that the very quenching of thirst as you drink water will 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 flee from you because that's exactly what God needs you to hear that you need to repent and repent speedily. Otherwise, what did Jesus say about those who didn't repent in the Book of Revelation? There are these things called candlesticks; they will be removed. Um, yes. God has no shortage of doing that, Dennis. I really hope and pray you don't find out the hard way, as you, as I'm sure you already are. So. We pray for you, Dennis. God bless, and we hope that uh, yes. you'll be listening. Vicky, thank you so much once again, and uh, we look forward to having you on our, on our podcast again really soon. It's been, well, it's been a, an eye-opening and wonderful time. Well, I hope it's I hope God uses it, but it's been an honor for me to be with you. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org and if you need urgent personal spiritual help email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.